Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Chronic Relief. Um, this episode is sponsored by Kush Queen. And today I have um, a very special guest, even though all of our guests are special. Today we have comedian Magger. Yes. <laughs> Yes, thanks I am. For, I'm just on. as special as everyone else. <laughs> comes on. You're extra special. Yeah, I. Uh, so I don't know if you know anything about this podcast. I, I don't. <laughs> I know you. So I have comedians on, and we talk about um, mental health and comedy and weed. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I feel like you know about all those things. Mm-hmm. And Matt is a paid regular here at the comedy store. Uh, you do a lot of things. You know, yeah. you also have. Uh, successful podcast yeah kind of can you plug it well yeah i mean i do um two podcasts i do first of all i'm a huge professional wrestling fan i don't know how many of your fans i just lost but we do a podcast called uh the store horseman at the comedy store and we've been doing it for a few years it's me tony hinchcliffe johnny scordis chris burns josh martin eddie firth these comedians i don't know if you I mean, you got it. I mean, you know, they're all in their own right out there doing their own thing. But every Wednesday for the past two years, we've met up and talked wrestling for about two hours. And um, in the last year, we've been having live shows that have been doing really well at the comedy store. And we just started, you know, we sell merch. It's been fun. They come out. We, you know, we interact and it's been it's been a great time. And it's kind of my childhood dream to grow up talk about wrestling in my 30s and then start like you know getting like professional benefits from that right what age did you start doing comedy i was 21 well i started taking improv classes when i was 18 went to the groundlings graduated Mm -hmm. high school got strep throat had to stay in watched old school watched (laughs) uh a bunch of old comedy movies and then as i was getting better i was like when i get better a few days I'm going to the Groundlings because I kept looking up like comedians like from movies and stuff especially Will Ferrell I loved Will Ferrell and I was like how did this guy get to where he's at and everything says the Groundlings it's this improv theater in Hollywood and yeah I just I had to get there so I went there started taking classes um, immediately kind of realized that I didn't like improv mm-hmm. I didn't like the idea of if if I failed, we I ruin it for other people. Right. If somebody else fucked up, they ruin it for me. There's right. too much responsibility that I just I don't want to I want to be held responsible for everything. Right. So improv class, it was a great way to like get into comedy and understand like how to the mindset, you know, of listening, which is so much of the comedy writing part. Just listening, like knowing when, you know, knowing when to say something, timing stuff. But then yeah, started stand up when I was 21 at the comedy store, open mic. What made you want to do stand up? Uh, cuz I was in community college for a few years and I was like it was just dawning on me like I just started thinking about my future. Like I really stand up comedy like I got into that when I was a kid, like before I was 10. Got into comedy albums. Mm-hmm. My stepdad we used to take uh, family trips and my stepdad, somebody gave him a Sinbad album and he just throw it on and in the car and he would laugh and like the whole family would laugh. I mean, I, could, I was such a little kid that I was, I probably couldn't understand it, but I liked watching my stepdad laugh. And I liked the idea that this is a guy, this is a grown up, mm-hmm. and his whole gig is he goofs off for a living. 
What, um, when you got on stage that first time at Potluck, do you remember how you felt? Yeah, I was proud. I didn't do, I was, I mean, as a set, it was nothing. Didn't get anything, but it was that I did it. It was literally, I'm, I'm that's the part of it that I, I probably couldn't ever forget was like that instant blast in your face that I'm being a comedian right now for mm-hmm. the first time. Cause you think about it, like it's so scary thinking about before you do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times have you been told that like, oh, I can't imagine doing what you do. Yeah. Like even like people that do crazy shit. Right. That porn stars. Porn stars, cops. Mm-hmm. MMA fighters, pro wrestlers. Mm-hmm. I can't believe, I can't do, like that is horrifying to me. So it is, like before you do it, it is horrifying. But as soon as you get up there, there's this like, it doesn't matter how you do after you step foot up there the first time. Right. You know that. It's like an agreement with yourself. Immediately when you get up there and you see them looking up at you and there's that spotlight that you're not ready for. You're right. not ready for how bright that is. You also don't know what to do with the mic. You, you prepare in your head the first time. I remember I wrote like a whole act about something that I didn't even get into. Like everything goes out the window the second you step foot up there. It's not like what you thought it was. Right. And, but- or, or it's real. You know, it, it, maybe it is kind of like what you thought, but it's real. You weren't anticipating like the people looking at you, like looking right up, like go like, okay, we're here. <laughs> so after that first time, did you just go up right again yeah. after the next day? Yeah. Where? Back then potluck at the comedy store, the open mic system was Sundays and Mondays. So that was a Sunday. So the next Monday I went back and I actually kind of got the cool hookup because the whole, like I got to the store. I, the first time I ever been to the comedy store was on a, the Friday before the open mic I went on. Um, I went there to watch the show. I had plans with friends and I, and I kind of bailed or before I was, I knew that night, like what I was going to do, like what we were going to do. I was in a math class during the day, like in the afternoon, kind of a later math class. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching the teacher do like crazy shit on the board that I'll never (laughs) do like stuff. I'll never like shapes and shit. That's called geometry. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) And this was also, it wasn't even, it was, it was a basic math class. Like this was like one of the first math classes that I'm going to have to get. It's going to get way Mm -hmm. crazier than this. And also I'm like looking and I'm starting to, like, I'm 21. So I'm like starting to think like, fuck, what do I, now I can like drink. Like, what am I going to do with my life? I yeah. haven't really thought, I knew somehow I'd be a Hollywood because I'm mm-hmm. from Long Beach. I knew just get there eventually and right. figure it out. You know, I just had to think about that real thing. Like, what do I do? And at the time I was listening to Jerry Seinfeld's, uh, I'm telling you this for the last time, it's mm-hmm. his his really his only album and it's fucking masterpiece. I used to like, I used to know it from beginning to end, like all every word he'd say, I listened to it so much. Um, but I was always listening to like, I'd get hung up on one comedy album at a time, like Jim Gaffigan or like Brian Regan, like I'll Mm -hmm. just find it. And I would just be obsessed ever since I was in high school and high school was all about Chris rock. He was like my hero in high school. Um, but anyways, at that, so at 21, I'm listening to, I'm taking improv classes. So I'm in Hollywood back and forth and I'm listening to a lot of standup. Like I always had. And it was like, I knew I wanted to do standup. I knew that that was the point to eventually get to standup. That's why I started taking, uh, improv classes. I just had to take the plunge. And so I had to like go to the comedy store on a whim to watch the show. 
and then see kind of the rhythm of like, oh, th- this guy brings up this guy. And then like, I remember I saw Kirk Fox. I <laughs> fell in love. Um, and Sia popped in that night. Yeah, I remember the show. I remember seeing Rick Ingram because he was there the first time. And he was fucking, I mean, these guys, to me, I always thought stand-up comedy was like all the albums that I listened to. Mm-hmm. But in, at the comedy show, you get there and you see like, no, these people are up there pouring their hearts out for a while before you hear the album. Right. It's all the setup. I remember the first time I saw Chris Rock. I mean, full circle, the first time I did open mic that night, Chris Rock popped in. Oh, wow. So like, I got to see, he was on, I was on the same show that he popped in on. My yeah. mind was fucking blown. Here's my hero. And this, I'm I'm still like in kid mode, like in fan comedy fan mode. So I had no shame to go up to him. Yeah. I, went right, I would never do that now, but I went right up to him. Like, I love you. Like I, felt, <laughs> I lost my shit. This guy's a superstar to me, but he goes on and I, and I'm thinking Chris Rock, the Chris Rock I always knew from all the specials. He's like, he paces around and it's a whole, like everything comes in three. Like he has three examples of every point that he makes. And like, I got his rhythms down, but I'd never seen such rawness, like in a comedy club in the original room, it's this grimy comedy showroom that's been there for decades. He just goes up, doesn't even take the mic out of the stand and he has a notebook and he's working on shit. And I'm just like thinking, wow, like this is, this is comedy. Yeah. This is stand up. What we see on TV or the albums, like that is like the, that's the grandiose. That's like why you do it. I guess that's the body of work, but that's, that's such a small percentage of what, right. It's like the tip of the iceberg, right? Right. It's so much more of grinding it out up there and getting your feelings hurt or trying new shit and yeah, but after the first time, no, I was hooked. I stopped. Um, I dropped out of college, moved uh, to the manager of the comedy store's couch <laughs> in Culver City, and started living the, co- the the comedy life. Were your parents supportive? My mom, my mom would be. Yeah, I mean, my mom was like just proud of me for living my dream. My dad, no, I mean, my dad, that was something that he needed to be convinced. Mm-hmm. He's a young man too. Like my dad at the time, I don't even know if he was 40. That's how young, I mean, we're, we're 20, we're 19 years apart. What so do you maybe think he, was, he wanted you to do? He wanted me to finish college and figure it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what, you know, he would have paid for it. He right. wanted it. He, that's what he did. Right. So, uh, I'm his first kid. So it's like, he's learning with me. Right. And was that hard not having his support? Um, no, cause I love comedy more. I fell in love. I fell in love and I instantly had a new life. Mm-hmm. It was like within a week, my life is completely different. I don't even live in the same place that I used to live. I'm making friends with people that feel the same way about me that yeah. have always felt the same way. And I thought I was alone in this love f- for comedy. Mm-hmm. Once you get around people that, that see it the way you see it, it's, there's not a bond. It's, it's the closest thing to that would be fucking. It's like you guys are intimately talking about this thing that you so passionately have loved alone for so long. And here's another soul that you could share it with. Right. So you make instantly best friends for life. That's it's why a, it's a community. It's a community. <laughs> That's why you see like all these old guy, these old comedians yeah. that are like our parents age, how, when they see each other at a club mm-hmm. that like they break, there's like no one else in the room. They yeah. just go, they, it's a strong hug. It's, they've been hugging each other for decades. Yeah. It's that comedy bond. It's like Chris Rock says it. It's like if he was in a room, Chris Rock goes, if, 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 he, if I'm in a room and there's all black people 
and uh, there's two white dudes, but they're comedians. I'm hanging with the comedians. These are my people. Mm-hmm. Like that's who I relate to right. more than a racial thing, more than yeah. It's it's the love of comedy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So in your stand-up, I know you like smoking weed. Yeah. And mushrooms. Yep, I do. Um, how old were you when you first started smoking? So weed came late, and I, I'm I was from I'm from Long Beach. Like the weed was huge, but there was also straight edge. So yeah. like you could do one or the were other. Were you straight edge? Straight edge. <laughs> Straight. You, get the, you don't have the tattoos, do you? No, because I was too young. I was straight edge at a way young age. At How probably, old were you? I mean, in high school. Were you part of Dare? No, I didn't care. No, no. What music did you listen oh, to? Oh, come on, Blink. I mean, I'm, su- Blink, I'm from Southern they, California. They were part of the straight edge. No, but it was like they. It's about teen angst. Like that part. Yeah. Of, that part of the. That part of the world loves the punk rock, but then like. When you're a teenager, like you, you have feelings, you're starting to develop feelings, you're starting to think about girls more, like you're starting to fall in love, you think for the first time, you're lusting. And uh, and then Blink comes around. <laughs> and or like all these there's there's a whole scene down there of like these pop punk bands that um, just started I mean, a lot of them came from Orange County, but there's also scenes in New York that they'd come over and there's there's this pocket of land where there's this place, Chain Reaction in in Anaheim. You go there, you see Fallout Boy opening for, you know, Newfound Glory. <laughs> like weird shit. And so yeah, man, that was that was my shit in in high school. That was it. So when did you start smoking weed? But oh oh yeah, I'm sorry. That's I was like, why am I talking about blink right now? <laughs> Uh, I started smoking weed. Uh, Tony Hinchcliffe got me in. So I'm a comedian. So at 25 years old. Oh, wow. At 24 years old. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, around 25. I broke my hand and I needed to get hand surgery. When I first broke it, they offered me like those pills, mm-hmm. you know, like what are they like? Uh, oh. Uh, there's some kind of op- opioids. There's some kind of pain opioid. medicine. Yeah, it's like pain medicine. Yeah. I said no. I at that point never been high. Like I've barely drank. You know, mm. um, you had never smoked weed in your life before. You. No, were- I think I tried it maybe when I was like 20. Okay. But nothing really. Okay. I think it was just scary, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was really drunk, so I don't think I really like got. I don't know what was what, but when I broke my hand, oh yeah, they had to. They had to break it again they had to do that thing where they re-break the right. bone and I had to go under <laughs> and they gave me like straight up and they had to put pins in my knee oh my or in my, in my uh in my hand and so like when I when I came to I was still on all the morphine they gave me but once that wore off and I just feel the the pins in my hand yeah I needed something so they gave me oxycodone and uh, I took oxycodone for a month and it was the time of my life <laughs> Like yeah. Immediately, I'm like, "What? This is altering your mind. This mm-hmm. is what that is. Like, this is exactly what I needed. I've always suffered from anxiety. Like when I was a little kid, you know, they told me I have ADHD mm-hmm. and I have depression and I have generalized anxiety. So they medicated me this whole time, but I never. They medicated me with stuff that makes you not feel. When uh, how so, old were you when you were on that? Kindergarten first, okay, started so, kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. same age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What until were you was, taking? Start off with Ritalin. Mm. It was Ritalin up until high school. And then it went to Zoloft. 
you know, my parents got a divorce when I was one. So it's like I live with my mom and my stepdad. I think my mom kind of called the shots when it came to that stuff. My dad, who I would see every other weekend, I think he kind of like was more like oh, whatever you think, mm-hmm. you know. So to her, she's learning. It's the 80s. She's learning yeah. how to, you know, they're they're learning how to tame your, your wild kids. Mm-hmm. And so I'm on Ritalin and I think I moved in my, I moved with my dad when I was 12. So he got the high school me. Right. So I think once it was like, I don't really care about ADD anymore. And my mm-hmm. dad's like, all right, you're good. And I got off, but I had really bad anxiety I'd mm-hmm. make, I'd throw up. Like it would just get just this intense, these panic attacks at night. And finally, uh, he took me to like a psychologist or whatever. And the, or that's when they diagnosed me of just some generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. So they put me on Zoloft, which is an antidepressant, but they thought, well, if it, an antidepressant would work like a, um, like an anti anxiety, mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyways, I took that till I was about 21. And then I just got, I got off of that cold Turkey. Didn't know yeah. better. Uh, nothing bad happened. I mean, I, it was very uncomfortable, Yeah. but, uh, my mind, I didn't do anything weird. Have like, you had those anxiety attacks since? Uh, well, then I got into standup. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like I get off Zoloft and then I'm in standup and my mind's consumed with other stuff. Now it's, things are going well as far as anxiety goes. I did get really depressed. I think that's just part of stand-up's depressing. Yeah. I think it just brought out some stuff, yeah. some childhood stuff that I never thought about. Because now mm-hmm. you're critically thinking about your life mm-hmm. when you become a comedian. Right. Your mind changes. You change. Mm-hmm. That's why relationships never work. Like out, out once, if you come into comedy in a relationship, kiss him goodbye, <laughs> because it's not going to last. You change. Mm-hmm. They don't change. They don't change with you. They support you at first because they don't even know what it is. Right. You guys are finding out together that life is different right now and it will never be the same. Yeah. And you guys think about it differently. You think about it differently. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, Okay. So like I'm on the oxycodone. Oh no, I get off of that stuff. And no, I had really bad hypochondria was like the anxiety. That's kind of where it led really like I'd lose days to like WebMD. Wow. Yeah. Which I always kind of had that as a kid. I always had this like fear of being sick, but uh, it it got out of control. Anyways, I get on oxycodone. I have zero anxiety. I'm go. I'm still doing sets high off this new thing, this newfound feeling. How are your sets going? Honestly, I don't want, I'm not saying if you're learning how to do comedy that you should try oxycodone, (laughs) but it did alter the way I thought of timing. I don't think I thought of timing that way when I was, when things got slower because I'm on this narcotic, it just got the rhythm kind of, I let rhythm in. Mm -hmm. I remember Benji Aflalo one time afterwards, like, dude, you're, you kill it on, on drugs. And I was like, man, I should just keep doing this. (laughs) My hand got better and I still was taking, you know, maybe it was my, in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's three o'clock. It's time for, uh, so it still started to go. I think I had about 10 left. No, no, no. I had like five left because I remember I got $50. I sold it to. Oh my God. Yeah. I sold it to somebody who asked for it. They're like, Hey, what are you going to do with the rest of them? Cause I was talking about it on stage. Yeah. Like, I got to throw the stuff away. And then somebody came up to me. What are you going to do with it? And they're like $10 a pill. And I was like, yeah, okay. got $50, made my first drug deal. Then I don't have anything. And then I'm, I think I'm starting to drink more because I'm like, I want to get back to that place. 
like that other place in, in my mind. Mm-hmm. But the alcohol is no good. I never really was been much for drinking anyways. Yeah. Um, and Tony. So I've always lived with like since I started stand up, I lived with stoners. They all are. We all are at mm-hmm. s- at some point. We all are mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. Um, I lived with Sandy Danto, who was selling weed out of the apartment <laughs> and Tony, who was smoking weed in the apartment. Yeah. And so living with them, always saying no, um, I ended up moving out. That's I broke my hand. I wasn't living with them. But then I was hanging out with Tony every day because we were both super poor and didn't really. Tony at the time was living in his car in the in the parking lot of the comedy store. So I'd get up in the morning, walk to the comedy store to hang out with him. So he's not like alone when he wakes up. It was depressing. We yeah. needed each other. Yeah. And he came over like, yeah, man, we just we would we would we really needed each other yeah. for a few years. And we were just bonded. And he was always smoking weed around me. And I was always saying no. And he got to the point where he'd stop asking for years. He wouldn't ask. He just knew better. And I was telling him about this oxycodone experience. And he's like, no, do you need to try weed? Mm-hmm. Like, come on, man. Yeah. And so I'm 25 and he's like, like, dude, we're nothing's going to happen. It's you and me. And then he smokes me out and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Changed everything. Changed everything. It's not too far after that. I started going on stage high and like being, I'd been a comedian for five years. I've been doing it sober for five years. I mm-hmm. wouldn't even drink before I go on for five years. I wanted to get used to the nerves. What's the difference for you performing high and not performing high? Uh, when I perform high, when I perform not high, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Completely. Yeah. I mean, I could, if I'm in my head about, I've gotten good at, you know, I could like block stuff out. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. That's part of like developing the callus. Comedians have to be, have to have focus. You have to be able to focus on them and not get distracted by the things that are obviously horrifying about this thing that we do. Right. You got to put the, put that aside. You're professional. Um, and you could do that very, or I could do that very easily. Not high. Right. When I'm high, I could probably, I mean, I've done two things I've done. I've gotten pretty good at, uh, stand up comedy and getting high. <laughs> So I could almost like I could navigate it better now than mm-hmm. I did. But when I was when I first started smoking, no, I really what happened. Well, I did like a year high on stage every set in the in the OR. And I was just I just got past. I was like, yeah, I got past when I was 25. So I started smoking weed and I was a paid regular at when I was 25. So quickly I started doing those sets high. And I, I think the first few times caught fire. <laughs> and I was trying to, I was trying to get back to there. And no, I mean, the timing was way off. I would think like, they don't like me. You know, those paranoid, yeah. every now and then you get hit with a paranoia. You think like, right. You get in your head about yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, they don't like me or I'm being weird or whatever. Right. Like I would do that up there and that just fucks with timings. I'm hung up on this thing. I'm not there saying right. what I got to say. So it, it doesn't. And I feel like my or it can, or as Rogan puts it, sometimes you could accidentally uh, uh, take a step into Geniusville. Right. You could accidentally walk off. Like I said, it could catch fire. Yeah. All, everything you're just dialed in. Everything's on. You're seeing the future. Things are people <laughs> are spilling. You're seeing the future. People are spilling beer bottles and you're there on it. And like you're just <laughs> and you're just dialed in and you're like, this is the greatest high I've ever had. Yeah. You chase that for a while. But that no, no, that, that's that's more rare. Yeah. Uh, odds are for me. I'm forgetting my set and I'm wasting time thinking about things that I shouldn't be thinking about. So now you choose to get high after. Oh yeah. Unless it's like a weed show or something. My whole, my whole, my whole day is spent wanting to get high 
Yeah. I don't because I want to be clear minded for my spot at night. A lot. I mean, I've been getting a little bit more flexible with the weed where I, I'd smoke and like, all right, well, let's take a few hours off and then I'll go up. But I used to be like, no, nah, no. Nah. If yeah. I have a spot, even if it's a late spot, even if I have like a past midnight spot, like all day, I'm not smoking. Right. And then right when I get off, like it's literally stage sacred ground. Yeah. Do not talk to me till I get there. Yeah. And I, it's, I got it rolled, ready to go. I mean, I sit back there. It's like the best high of the day. Cause I believe in that too. I think like the best, that first high of the day, when you mm-hmm. wake up, that first high is special. It's, it's sacred. It sound, it, it it's sound, it's a ritual. It lasts for like a half an hour for us. Yeah. It used to be hours. It used to be hours. And that's why you got high. Yeah. Now we get this little half an hour of everything you want out of weed and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. So like, I want to like sit on that first high as long as possible and then pull the eject button when there's when I absolutely have to when did mushrooms come into your life (laughs) well weed is a gateway drug (laughs) to better drugs to living your best life yeah mushrooms so around that same time I'm starting to smoke weed I'm starting to smoke a lot of weed and get even higher fuck with edibles different like I'm really trying to like go deep within I've never gone this deep inside you know and I'm finding things out about myself look at when you start smoking weed I, I mean I don't know what it's like to be a teenager getting high I don't know what kind of things you think about then but when you're 25 and you're getting high and you, I spend the rest of my life thinking about my life in I mean I was a comedian I'm trying to dig shit up when you're when you're suddenly high at this more mature age I think you you think maybe you think about better things right so yeah I got high and I started thinking about better more sophisticated things also like that thing that I'd get paranoid about being high I would be like oh well then where is like why do I feel that way and right. I'd explore myself right. like I'd question myself I learned to do that yeah I was also got into good books was reading good books that open up my mind you know and um and so, yeah, I mean, I wanted to eat mushrooms because Ari Shafir, Dan Madonia, Tony Hinchcliffe invited me to in the condo in La Jolla. <laughs> and I said, no, I just wasn't ready. And Aww. they went and I the whole time was like, fuck, man, I pushed out. Yeah. Like I'm I, I could have went. I, I'm being a pussy. So finally, uh, so finally they plan another one. They start planning another one. Other people want to go. Uh, cause Tony was raving about it. Like it really got, then I did all the research, found out everything you could finally, anything you could read about mushrooms in 2011, I read on the internet. In it was a great yeah. year for mushrooms. It was, it was starting to come out and everything seemed fine. And one thing that scared me was like, like, you know, the anxiety thing, like people being prone to, you know, I'm thinking, does this dig up some shit, you know? And Absolutely it does. That's Mm -hmm. mushrooms. Mushrooms isn't meant to just be good. Mm -hmm. The bad is part of it. That's the cleansing part. Yeah. And then, so like, I don't think there's ever a good or bad mushroom trip. I think they're both both. Right. I mean, some lean more towards the bad or lean more, but no matter what, even in the worst trips that you have at that end, when you're coming down, you are going to laugh until you cry. Yeah. As bad as it could be, you'll, you'll, you're going to laugh somewhere within the next few hours. Really hard. Where's your favorite place to do mushrooms? Joshua tree, baby. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joshua trees are special to you. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Um, because that's the first place I was when I tried mushrooms. Mushrooms changed everything. Weed was the gateway to heaven. That is the mushrooms. When I started 
trying that stuff. By the way, I make it. I, I don't want. I, I don't do mushrooms that much. It's like I kind of kept it sacred. It was like for a while it was once a year. Now it's like a few times in the summer, mm-hmm. you know, healthy amount because I know how powerful this shit is. I don't fuck with it. I respect it. And yeah. I and I I'm so stoked at where we at where we're at right now. Like yeah. it, they're starting to get it right. We're slowly. It's like the weed thing. It's like we just a few few places get legal inspires other places and all we need to do is like get some scientists in there to like pick this shit apart right what is actually happening with us because mm-hmm. it's working it changed my life the first when i was in joshua the first time i ever ate mushrooms i was in joshua tree and i remember i was holding all night we're just wandering the desert i'm holding a jug of water and i'm drinking it all night and i noticed like I noticed that it was like halfway full, but all night I'm drinking it and every couple of hours I look, it was still halfway full. And it just dawned on me, it's like, uh, it's like the glass is always half full. That puts everything in perspective. That old saying, it's hacky, the glass is always half full. I mean, it's been said for, you know, it's, it's a classic, but that centered me in every aspect of my life because it is. It's like, no, nothing's, what's fair? Like, what's fairness? Like, if you're to actually tally up all the factors and everything, it might be closer to fair than you think. When you say something's unfair, I I bet you on the other side, there's more things that worked in your favor. You're not happy with the outcome. Right. That's on you, man. Right. The glass is always half full. Right. So, like, now that you are not taking these pharmaceuticals anymore, when you do have those moments where you're like having anxiety or depression or before you get on stage, like how do you manage that then? Oh, before I get on stage or just at, at all, but like maybe yeah. specifically in I, comedy, <sighs> like cause those moments, like you were talking about comedy can be very depressing Yeah, and just like, you know, like a lot of, I experience anxiety before I get on stage. I think it's more, it's like excitement. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there, there's that's the key word. I mean, once I start, I mean, OK, one, I remember the feeling of waiting to go on. I know I'm next and I'm so nervous and I'm catching myself breathing like the way I'm, I'm like holding my breath and I'm shaking and I'm aware of this and I'm trying to stop it mm-hmm. and I can't. I remember that crippling like, but then after years you, you learn to trust yourself because yeah. you know you're going to be fine when you get there. Yeah. So something happens, something clicks when you get up there. Maybe not immediately. There is an immediate click, but then as you go on, you get loose. It's like you start feeling it out. Right. It's like boxing. It's like the, the fir- they're jabbing, they're, 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 they're gauging distance, you know, like how fast is this guy? How far away is he? Can I get him? If I, does this punch work? Does that like, what's this guy into? That's what crowds are like. Every one's different too. Um, but you say excitement, like in the last few years, I mean, honestly, stand up to me right now is pure fun. There's no, it used to be, you know, what it like, let's say 40%. No, like I'd say 50% nerves and then 50% other stuff that involve excitement, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, now the nerves, no, I, uh, when I feel it, it's not that I don't feel it. It's an old feeling to me. I'm used to it. When I get that stage, I don't want to call it fright because stage fright sounds way more crippling. This is just something that flutters through every now and then before I go on matter what the stakes are, who's in the room. Sometimes who's in the room matters by family, mm-hmm. somebody I want to impress, you know, or I'm showcase, whatever it is. Uh, cause I'm a person and I do care about certain people's opinions of me. Why right. not? Um, I don't think I know everything. So 
when these nerves come up, I recognize them as those same old nerves. It is what it is. And then I just go like, okay, this is energy. These nerves, they're causing energy inside of me. Right. Once you, once it's energy, you could do anything you want with it. To me, I use it to be excited be excited because i've wanted i've waited for this all day this is all i think about is getting up on stage and now i get to what are you scared over this is what you wanted so that like no no so like self-talk yeah it's inside but it's like this is what you want like like this is what this is there you're nervous because you got to you're getting to do what you finally I mean I'm telling you every day it's like we're addicts every single day I'm just I can't wait to get up there I can't yeah, wait for that feeling. all I think about yeah once I get there all day it flutters through so then when I'm right there and it's happening and then I get nervous it's like no I'm I can't not you're wait. excited this is that's excitement yeah and then it becomes then I fall in love with them because that just then that's just pure love after that because you're excited to do this thing and then you get to and then you just get to just love that those moments that you're up there and everybody in the room even the people that aren't into it you still love them because it's perfect you right. can't have everybody right Glass is always Everyone has their role. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's fucking, it's magic, you know. You got the bug. It's like, you now, like, you can't stop. Yeah. It kind of fucks with your life. It's like everybody in your life, like, all the relationships that you've ever had change. Grandparent relationship change. Like, parents change. It's like, they'll, they'll never understand. I never knew that they were incapable of understanding anything about me. Right. Because even if I did stuff they didn't agree with, they can meet me halfway. I mean, it's a family of people that have gotten old that have experienced life, have failed their own shit. Mm-hmm. Like the, my family's not that judgy. Thank God. But your dad ended up coming around. My dad comes around when I get my name on the wall. Yeah. Because he came to that. He wanted to see it. It was the only time he ever came to the comedy store. Really? He came like, are you fucking kidding me? And he came. My dad, chill surfer businessman. He comes in. He sees it, and then right there, it's like they painted my my last name on the wall. Yeah. Like, he's doing something. Mm-hmm. I know he's not making money, but these people <laughs> believe in him for some yeah. reason. That's crazy. So, from that point on, he kind of just trusted me. And he still does. Yeah. And it's been great. And then he actually snuck in to see me one time. He didn't tell you? No, no. I, Until I after? saw him in line. I saw him in line. We're at, I'm at the La Jolla Comedy Store. I'm opening for Eric Griffin. He's recording his first album. It's sold out. And I see my fucking dad in line. Wow. With his wife, with my stepmom, Betty. And they're sit, they're just like coming from a wedding. So they're dressed nice. I'm like, dad. And he's like, uh, yep. Just thought I'd see you. And I was uh, like, oh, no. How oh, was no. your set? It was just like, it, uh, if there was a God, he definitely was like, D- I got, I got you this. I got, yeah. I got this. It was, it was great for, you know, I wasn't that, I, as a comedian back then, wasn't that great, but that set for what it was, was great. I had just wrote this joke. It was, it was right after I finally had good jokes. I had like a few good, like probably better than me at comedy jokes. Yeah. Triple used to say that's a black belt. Like that's a black belt joke. You're telling black belt jokes now. So it was like when I, the first crop of that and I'm just getting used to like really getting reactions from the crowd. Like before it was like light chuckles would do. That's all I needed. 
now I'm getting like this one joke. It would end in an applause break. I knew if I hit all the beats and I get to this one part, bam, at the end, applause break. Yeah. And I close with that. So I had already had that. So my dad's there. I knew in my head, like if I if it's a good crowd and I'm hitting my beats all the way up until the end and I just it was like, you know, time stood still. I just had one of those sets where it was just I was. I was hitting everything. Nothing was, everything was landing. So I know that it's going to end in an applause break. My dad saw that done. Yeah. Done. There's never a debate whether I should be doing this or not. And it was one of those beautiful, magical nights where I, it happened. I also, it was great too. Cause I had a friend come with me who I grew up with, who was, got to see that also. So it was like, I, there was a witness. Yeah. Like it wasn't a story, this tall tale between me and my right. dad, you like know, it actually happened. It happened. And there's somebody that was that sticks up for it. Like I was there when 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 Troy saw Matt. Wow. Yeah. And he knew my dad from growing up. So it's just the whole. Yeah, it was like one of those cool. Things. But after that, no, man, there's no convincing anybody. Right. They convinced other people like my dad. If anybody questioned it, my dad would be like, no, no, he's he's fine. Right. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so validating. Yeah. Because, you know, well, you kind of get you. you it's weird how far away you get from needing or wanting to be validated by certain people after your comedian because that mattered at first and then it so didn't matter mm -hmm. to me what my dad thought. So didn't matter. I would have liked him and right. I guess I didn't realize how much it mattered when I saw him in line until I, until I saw him in line because then I was like, oh fuck, this is horrifying. Yeah. So then you get those nerves but like, um, no, after that it was, it was on. It was on. It was like, we're cool. Again, my dad's a young guy. So like he, he kind of at, at, at one point was like, yeah, man, it's kind of cool. Actually. What yeah. I always, he, he respected you. Yeah, yeah. Well, also my dad, but like my dad, uh, he, in his own right has a great career and life going and he's yeah. a public speaker. So like he kind of, in a lot of ways we relate on this deeper thing about public speaking right? that I know I got from him because I've watched him. He, he was a mayor. So like I'd see him, you know, he'd hold court. Mm -hmm. He's been a politician for, you know, 10 or well, yeah. I mean, he's been over a decade. He's been a politician. I see him go up and as a businessman, he was the owner of a company. So he'd go up in front of his employees and I'd be there and yeah. I just watch him hold court and talk to a group. Right. He's great at getting his thoughts out. So when he saw me do that in a different context, but it was like, he got that. No, it's that's kind of the similar setup. It's yeah. just, you guys are using different art for, or like you're using humor. Yep. And he's using, you know, not humor politics. Yeah. So yeah. Once he realized, Oh, well we're not so different. Also like the kind of credits that I I've lived off of have been like, you know, like I'll, I'll punch up something for somebody and I get yeah. paid for it. That's kind of like my dad's a consultant. Also, that's his company. Mm -hmm. Like he always related it. Like you're like a consultant. You're like a comedy consultant. Yeah. So once he started seeing the similarity that this is, once he starts seeing that this isn't just a dream, that there's actually a career path. Right. And he's doing better at this than he was at college. Right. Yeah. That's got to be comforting for him as a dad. Totally. You know, totally. And I, that happened to me, you know, that I got, 
I got through to my dad at least six, seven years ago. So it's been our relationship's amazing. We always did. I mean, my dad is chill guy. There's I don't I've never had that thing in families where you stop talking to a family member for an extended amount. <laughs> you of might time. be the only person on I this might podcast. Be. I'm starting. To, <laughs> I'm starting to see that everybody has that with a sibling or a parent. To me, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. You can't just like. There's got to be a way you could talk out, or at least like if you're gonna part ways, like you got to establish yeah, that you, there's love. You have to think though. You're you're c- kind of becoming this expert communicator, right? Yeah. So not everybody's like that. No. They don't know how to communicate. Yeah. How to put their emotions and thoughts and words into into words. Right. So that's really like how anything, any basic relationship. Yeah. You got to have good communication. Absolutely. And I, I think that it just, yeah, it just gets and overlooked. And it's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to move forward if one side doesn't want to communicate. I also think most people are shy people. Yeah. That don't want to, that don't know how to express themselves. So when there's conflict, maybe, and some of these people are better in conflict. It's like something about that makes them communicate or they're at least stick to their point or make up, have a point. It's just weird. People work differently under certain pressures to me, fighting, arguing with anybody in a, it could be a a relative, a friend, a lover. Uh, I just think that, my dad used to go at the end of the day, if he got in a fight, my stepmom was, they fought or she fought. She was like a hothead. He was chill. He would, he would end every night. If there was a bad day or there was a fight, he'd end every night. Like, Hey, this is done for today. I love you. I love you. Tomorrow's a new day. That's nice. Tomorrow's a new day. I used to, I heard that my whole life. Tomorrow's a new day. So let's see how we feel in the morning. You know? So it's like, I never, you don't, I don't, I mean, I know there's shit that happens. That's unforgivable, but you got, I think the gauge for that should be more realistic, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you say you're sorry to somebody, you should really consider forgiving that person because nobody really has any answers unless they know that they fucked up and they're coming to you. They're able to put that aside, their own pride aside and be vulnerable to you because they fucked up and they know that. Come on. That's, that's all you could ever ask from someone. That's all you can ever ask. What not, nothing's going to get fixed. That's the best they could do. And it is a lot. Mm -hmm. I hate people that don't. We're all just trying to do our best. Yeah. (laughs) And we don't really have any guidebook or answers. There's no like parenting book for life. Which is why would they give us fucking Ritalin? (laughs) They think, all right, this. Yeah, I'll just stick to weed though. Weed just is, it really like, it sucks that it's so illegal. And that's why people are dropping from fucking heroin pills or whatever they're taking in Ohio. (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot more they're taking. nodding off in their cars (laughs) with their kids in the back seat. It's true. I've seen that in Florida though. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's all those, it's all those states that weed's not legal mm-hmm. and I'm not saying it's going to cure all of it. It's going to fix it all, but I bet you the numbers would drop. Yeah. There's an opioid crisis. Yeah. Where only places where there's no weed, mm-hmm. where you go to jail, mm-hmm. prison for weed. You kidding me? Yeah. And it's better that they die in their car with their children. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's California is the best state there is. <laughs> We've been smoking this shit forever. Even like, when it was illegal, it wasn't legal. I like those. I like that joke of yours. Oh, thank you. You're That's welcome. a brand new one. Really? Yep. It's so good. 
it's, you know, that feeling when you get something new yeah. and it's fun and it's working and then it open. Oh, so since this works, I could do other stuff with it. Yeah. Once the tags, once you're at tags, that's the most fun. Um, where can people find you on social media and I'm, in the world? Yeah. I'm at Matt Edgar. Matt has one T in it. This throws people off. <laughs> um, I mostly, I, I guess I'm mostly good at my Instagram, but, um, yeah, I do stand up in LA for the rest of the summer. I got, um, yeah, I do every weekend at the comedy store starting in August. I'll be at the improv every weekend. Also, you know, I'm here, uh, Lake Tahoe improv, um, the weekend of the 16th. I'm so bad at this. I'm so I bad don't, we at don't it. need to do dates. All right. We don't need to do dates, but there's shit. Yeah. And come look at it. And I'm doing the New York comedy festival in November. Okay. That's Re- cool. Yeah. So that'll be, this will be out before then. Great. So come <laughs> see me there in New York or um, whatever, or don't. Yeah. No, maybe they will. Or come to the comedy store and you'll see me and then you'll be like, Oh, that was the guy from chronic relief. That's Matt Edgar. That's not where they're going to recognize you from. <laughs> yeah, what if that's the thing? What if this is what breaks me? That's hope. Maybe Can you, that would be amazing, but probably not. But right. I hope it does. I'm going to get all my um, friends to retweet this. <laughs> uh, you're the best. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Rachel. Um, this has been another episode of Chronic Relief. Uh, thank you to our sponsor, Kush Queen, and I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>